Hello and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast, the place for modern women who are waking up to the truth of who they are on a path of feminine and masculine reunification. I'm your host, Sarah Poet. Women are healing from outdated paradigms and we are rising, but we're not doing it by fighting or further depleting ourselves anymore. We do it by remembering who we are and standing in that unified truth. Here, we remember together through stories, tools, and curiosity. And in doing so, we bring forward the place of women in our modern world. We infuse the sacred with logic, soul with spirit. We heal, embody, and activate a new feminine leadership. Listen, learn more, and work with me at sarahpoet.com. Now, let's begin. Hello, and welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Poet, and this is episode 77 with Sarah Benoit. And whether or not this is your very first episode, or you have heard all 76 episodes so far, you are in for a true and authentic sacred remembering story. I'm telling you what, y'all, this episode is tops. It's going to change you. You're going to want to share it with people. Um, It's going to inspire your own story. Uh, It's incredible. Sarah Benoit is incredible and heartfelt, and you're just going to receive so much medicine through her sharing of her personal story. And Sarah is um, an entrepreneur and a marketing strategist here in Asheville, North Carolina, where we both live. And I'm going to read her bio in just a moment, but it's been really beautiful to get to know her a bit over the last few years. And I mean, this woman just exudes heart, heart, love. Um, And so there's been just, you know, knowing her, I can just tell that there has been a lot of reverence to a very sincere personal journey. And we're going to hear aspects of that personal journey today. And what I didn't know about Sarah was that she grew up in a church. Um, And uh, I'll let her share her story. But a couple of things really stood out as I was thinking about the summary here. There were mixed messages presented to Sarah. And I know that many can relate to this. One, you know, this message of service uh, from the church that people are selfless, that you give a lot, that you feed the hungry, that there's love, love, love. And that was Jesus's message. And then the other message that's either spoken or unspoken as a woman is that you don't belong there or as Sarah really puts it so well, that women don't have a direct line of access to the sacred. And that message is just perpetuated and um, that women can't hear the sacred. You know, they have to go through the church or through a man or a preacher um, in order or a husband, right? In order to um, get God's love, in order to get that approval. And so that recipe really, I know (laughs) that has affected so, so many of us. And I want to speak to the listeners right now and say some things in my own words, not in Sarah's words, um, 
to the listeners because I get a lot of women as clients and a lot of women in my inbox talking about the effects of religion on their lives. And I really want to make this a welcome place where we can talk about these things, you know, sacred remembering. This is what we're doing. We are, we are taking back that direct line of access to the sacred. We have it and then some. Um, and we're also reclaiming feminine and masculine, which I'll speak to in a moment. But this is religious trauma. And I've looked up that term before. I haven't recently, but I've looked at it before. And the internet, you know, does and does not validate that this is a thing. And I'm here to tell you that if religion has changed your life in the term, in terms of having you question who you are, or whether or not you are worthy in the eyes of God, or whether or not you have to perform in order to get the love of the divine. These things are traumas because they are separation traumas. They are separation wounds. Anything that is giving you the message that you are separate from the divine is, in effect, a direct you know, it's directly traumatizing. And so the effects can live in the body, in the mind, in the nervous system, like any other trauma. And I really just want to validate this here because this question of who am I and do I have to hustle for my worth in the eyes of God, that really gravely affects the um, the nervous systems and the thought patterns of many, many, many women. Um, and so if you are listening to this and this is helpful, um, you know, I'm, I'm so, so glad Sarah's story is going to be so inspiring today. And be sure to share this with other women who, um, you know, could benefit from such an uplifting story of reclamation and remembrance, um, because this is what we're doing here. And, and then I want to talk about one more aspect of this that I speak to frequently and um, is the upcoming topic, actually, of my next offering called Fall in Love with the King. Well, why would we want to fall in love with the King? Because when we have this separation trauma as women with religion and primarily male-dominated religion, we actually get fractured from the healthy masculine, which the archetype of, you know, of Jesus and also the, the ascended master, Jesus, really had so many, I mean, he is the sacred masculine um, divine archetype in form in so, so many ways, but he was distorted by the church and his message was distorted by the church because he would have never said women are less than or women aren't necessary. Um, that was the church that did that, not the man. And so what happens when women reject the church as I did as a young child, I'm writing the memoir now, um, (laughs) that's all about the masculine and how this relationship was really affected because of the church When women are given these messages from the church about, you know, a male God, but it's not fair, what happens in the psyche is often a a split or a rejection 
of the masculine and of the sacred masculine. And then we walk down a road of reclaiming the sacred feminine. And then many, many people are realizing, oh, I need to also reclaim the masculine because it's never a one size fits all. You know, any distorted message of separation and dominance could never be the authentic message of the sacred masculine. And so this is just such a worthy reclamation and and must happen on the path to reunification because it's it's all about sacred feminine and masculine reunification as Sarah Benoit tells us today in this episode those are the two components of nature it it's what makes up everything. Um, so if you have not received my ebook for modern women on reclaiming sacred feminine and masculine, go to sarahpoet.com now and sign up for that via my email list. And, um, that'll come to your inbox. And this is to let you know that my next program that I talked about in the last episode, um, to some extent came out of a very, uh, beautiful and authentic process with my own remembrance of the masculine that's been happening for years and years, but, um, recently took a very beautiful (laughs) deep dive. And this program is called fall in love with the King. And it is, rooted in healing the traumas that we um, have associated with the masculine, including those that we have associated with God and religion. Um, And yeah, we're going to heal all things masculine, be it spiritual affiliations, be it man affiliations, and then that inner masculine in you. And then really... I'll say resurrecting the masculine archetype of, you know, all, all present King, all loving, abiding King. Um, and we are going to begin probably the end of June and I'm between websites right now. And so if you would like to get in touch with me about this program, you can email me right now, Sarah at sarahpoet.com. And if you're listening to this after May 2021, then my new website will be up and rolling. And um, you can always find me at sarahpoet.com. But we're getting the overhaul on the website right now. So just be in touch with me directly if you don't want to miss this program. The king himself is telling me to launch it now <laughs> as the um, these energies are so, uh, you know, high and um, beautifully available on the planet. And, you know, website or no website, here he comes. So, Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. I'm going to introduce Sarah and then we're going to get right to the interview. Stay till the end because the wisdom that she's dropping at the end is just like, you know, continuous. So, uh, so much love. I get so excited for sacred remembering stories. So here is to all of those stories of sacred remembering that are going on in all of your lives that maybe aren't featured here on this podcast, but they matter. They matter because you are saying, yes, 
I know this to be true. I know I have this direct access to the sacred. I am going to explore what the sacred feminine and masculine mean to me, no matter what, no matter what I've been told, because I'm going to honor these truths that exist in me and that are being remembered, this ancient remembrance back through us here and now. So I hope that this story activates and inspires, and I know that it will. So much love. Sarah Benoit is an entrepreneur, marketing strategist, educator, and public speaker based in Asheville, North Carolina. She's been building and promoting websites through social media, search engine optimization, and online advertising since 2003. She began digital marketing in 2006. In addition, she reads astrology charts and tarot. She's certified in Reiki. She meditates daily and is a lifelong student of humanity. She's here today to talk about her surprising path back to Mother Mary and healing her associations with Christianity as it was presented to her as a child. You can often find Sarah studying history, increasing her emotional intelligence, wearing lots of glitter, dancing by herself, cuddling with her cats, sitting in nature, listening to music from around the world, and dreaming about the next place she will travel. Welcome, Sarah. Hello, Sarah. Welcome to the Sacred Remembering Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you here and honored. Thank you for saying yes to sharing your personal story. It's I love personal stories and yours is potent and alive right now. So thank you. I I was hearing you talk. So Sarah and I met in a mastermind a few years ago in Asheville. And, um, you know, she's the social media queen (laughs) here. And I was really, I felt very, very blessed to share this um, women's space with you. And we had a little reunion call recently that you organized. Thank you. And you shared the story at the end where I had full chills. And I was like, that's a secret remembering story. Uh, Will you please come? onto the podcast. You want to share the story. And so, yay, you said yes. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm so thrilled because I want to just let everyone know this is really the first time I've been able to talk about this because it's been a process that's been happening for the last year. So it's, it's so exciting to have such a special sacred space to share it. Mm, Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. We really honor sacred stories here and sacred remembrance. And one of the things that is such a theme here on the podcast and also in the story that you're about to share is when we have these, I'll say patriarchal or these influenced impressions of a religion and specifically Christianity that we um, are given as children or indoctrinated into. And so much a part of like even my work with women that come into my practice is to reconcile and help heal the spiritual trauma, religious trauma that, um, that we receive, uh, that we were given or like, you know, for, for all the reasons, right? Um, but your story, it addresses that and a homecoming, a remembrance. And so I'd love to, to dive right in. Absolutely. I'm ready. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, why don't you just kick it off? I mean, you, you took this um, study 
with Mother Mary. Is that where you want to start? Or do you want to start with a childhood story? Let's, yeah, let's start with something I think is an anchor to my whole story as a person, which is that I'm a minister's daughter. Wow. So I grew up, um, my father was a Baptist minister my entire life until I was about 20 years old. So the early part of my life was really spent just saturated in church. Um, People sometimes think I'm exaggerating, but I was at church sometimes five and six times a week doing different things. It was a huge part of just everything in our lives, right? It was what my parents were dedicated to. It was my dad's calling, and it was kind of the job of our entire family to be in that space, you know, regularly and to do all these different aspects of of that kind of um spiritual work, you know, taking care of people, helping them with their kids, being there during different events in their lives. Um, My parents were very focused on helping the poor and, you know, just living like Jesus. So not being too focused on, you know, consumerism and donating our time, volunteering our time, going places where, you know, we could contribute as much as possible to taking care of people. Mm. Wow. I don't think I realized that part of your story. Okay. Huge, huge. Yes. It's, I mean, it's probably one of the most defining parts of my character, you know, as a human being, I feel like it's one of the most defining things to me because I was definitely raised in a way where Christianity, although, you know, we will get into all the things that I felt were limiting about it and all the things that hurt me about it. At the same time, that wasn't all I ever saw. Right. Mm-hmm. I also saw this incredibly compassionate, giving, beautiful energy that happened when people showed up for each other and showed up for humanity simply because we're all interconnected and we can't survive alone. So, you know, I got to see this beautiful aspect of it. As a matter of fact, I, I still remember the first time I was in a church and not my father's church, a different one, but I had the experience of like feeling energy from other people, you know? And of course, in the church, they're calling it the Holy Spirit, but I could feel it coming from other people and affecting me. And I thought, huh, there's something going on here, (laughs) you know? Mm. So it was an interesting, I feel like my childhood was really interesting because it wasn't very black and white how I felt about these things. Yeah. So I hear that, that experience of being able to feel energy. Were there also other experiences that you had where, you know, religion or the church was like telling you one thing, but then you were sensing other magic or you were like, wait, something's missing here? Yes. I mean, I think I felt that all the time. And for me, I think what I've realized in the last year, even though I think intellectually I have dealt with a lot of the different um, conditioning, you know, thought conditioning that I kind of picked up from that time in my life, I hadn't completely opened the door to the emotional and the spiritual part of it, where I think one of the hardest things for me was feeling so much spiritual energy, feeling that connection between people, even sometimes feeling a connection between myself and God, you know, which I now consider to be divinity and nature, but feeling that direct connection so much. And yet hearing all the time in different ways that because I was a woman, 
I wasn't allowed that direct connection. Yeah. Right. So I feel like I had this natural connection to the spirit and it was so profound for me when I was younger. And yet the messages that were all around me in numerous ways, not just because I was a woman, but because of many other reasons that came up, you know, uh, I was told I wasn't allowed that access over and over. Over and over. And did your father also live that message with you? Like raising a daughter, was it, did that come through in your dynamic with him? It's interesting because my father, it's just a rule follower. And he just, he kind of goes along with what the rules are. And he was living that way and he was very dedicated and he was very giving. Um, In a lot of ways, it wasn't so direct you know, him telling me that. And he ended up with three daughters, which I always found funny. Wow. I'm one of three daughters with with a Christian father as well. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So it's like, and also my mother is like the most amazing woman in the world. And I feel like the only reason I never gave up hope that I did have access to the spirit is because she was reinforcing that I did. Oh, wow. Like she was sort of under the surface kind of saying, no, women do have access to this. We have access to lots of things, right? So she was giving me that message. And so my dad, it's funny, I feel like he never really directly gave me that message. It was more his part in supporting the people around us that said that stuff and that believed that stuff. So, you know, his belief in the structure and the rules of what he was doing as a job and as a calling in life, you know, it's, I want to say guilt by association. You know, I think sometimes I was angry Mm -hmm. at him, not because of what he said or did, but because he was going to go along with things that didn't seem fair to me. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. and he wasn't the kind of, you know, I, we've become very close now, but this is not a kind of conversation we could have when I was 12 or 15. (laughs) We had a lot of conversations, but we weren't having this kind of conversation where I was saying, you know, because I, I wasn't ready to articulate it, I don't think, so right. clearly, you know? Yeah. And so it was more like him and I, I think, through my, especially preteen years, just like yelling at each other, mostly because I was mad because it wasn't fair that he was going along with something that I felt kept blocking me out of yeah. spirit and blocking me out of participating fully. So this was really, that fight became really central to you, whereas like the religion was really central to your family life. This became a major thing for you as a yeah. teenager, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. I mean, I laugh now that I'm almost 46 years old. And sometimes if I think something's going to make Jesus mad, I'm probably doing it. You know, like, I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever get rid of that. It's like, there's some deep thing inside of me where sometimes I'm just like, if I do this, I'm making God angry. I'm going to do it, you know? And I just laugh at myself that there's still that compulsion. I think that comes from, like I said, I, I had a real struggle with the fairness of it all. You know, I was just like, why I'm smart and I can feel God. And I believe that there's something beyond what we can see. And so I'm like doing everything you're asking me to do. I'm trying to turn myself into what you want and it's still not good enough. I'm still not allowed freedom the direct access the direct no i'm still supposed to go through somebody else i mean i definitely had a bitterness for a long time i think that you know in some ways um having a father who was the head of the church and had three daughters you know there was always this kind of um 
idea around us of like, you know, if we're not perfect, it's a bad reflection on my father and who he is because he is in control of us and we only get to God like through our father. And then eventually we have a husband, which I knew I would never have a husband. So I was like, oh, I'm screwed. You know, like I can't, (laughs) I'm not allowed to do anything by myself. So it was just a really interesting dynamic because I feel like I don't, my parents and I have such a good relationship and I love my dad so much. And he's definitely made an effort to know me as an adult, as a human being, which I'm super grateful for. I feel like I'm friends with both my parents. And Mm -hmm. so I had less anger at them over time, but the anger that I switched over to, I think, especially in my twenties was just at the institution itself. Yeah. You know, you shift because you want to love people. I mean, it's a natural way to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, that was my next question. You, you're growing up, you're like the rebellious teen. <laughs> the, and then what happened on your spiritual path? Did you go toward the feminine, like reclaiming everything? Yeah. So first I was a hardcore atheist. Okay. And I think this is a story that many ministers, children, (laughs) the PKs Uh. of the world, (laughs) we can all relate. I mean, a lot of times I feel like, especially when we start our adulthood, when you've grown up with a church so integrated into everything you do, you either fully embrace it and it becomes your life. I know a lot of ministers' kids that go on to work in the church and be a huge part of it. And then I think there's a contingent of us that are literally like, I will never have anything to do with this again. Yeah. I will never talk about it again. I will never show up for it again. I will never be a part of it again. And so I sort of went that direction at first. And it was very interesting because I went to a very religious Christian college for the first couple of years. And so it was awkward because I was like, I'm an atheist. And then I went to Christian college and it, it was like, I mean, I'm glad I did it because going to college and learning some facts about where Christianity comes from and the actual writings that we have and things like that, in a lot of ways, really, it propelled me to look at it from a different perspective, which was very valuable. But at the same time, it was just really interesting that as I pushed something away from me, I kind of also brought it towards me simultaneously. Totally. So those first, yeah, those first few years, I feel like it was kind of a battle inside myself. And when I was about 20... I mean, I started when I was younger, I think going towards the feminine, I used to make my father take me to Catholic church because I knew Mary would be there and that made me feel better. Mm. Uh, I know there's little things like that, that I did when I was younger, but I would say by the time I was around 22, 23, you know, I had really kind of said, okay, I don't want anything to do with Christianity anymore. I'm going to look at everything else that's possible. And, you know, that's when I just, I feel like I dove off a a cliff into a clear blue ocean of feminine divine, you know, and I've stayed there for a long time, you know, like yeah. 20 years of my life, 25 years of my life. I have really stayed in that place, um, learning everything I can and deciding that I do have access to spirit and I am allowed to have a spiritual life. Um, you know, that's where the intellectual part came in. It's like, oh, Christianity is bad. It's patriarchal. It's never going to let me do what I want to do. So I'm just going to throw it away and pretend it's not worth anything. And I'm going to go into this completely other direction. 
you know, that has served me very well. I just have to say, even though I feel like I'm really shifting now, um, that has served me very well. I've learned so much about myself and I have become a better person. And I feel like I'm a deeply spiritually powerful person after all these years. And I'm excited that I'm allowed to give myself that credit for the work that I've done. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a long arc of the period of my life where I feel like I was taking back my own ability to have a spiritual connection. Yeah, the spiritual connection. And then I think you just used the word creative, like that we're so spiritually powerful as women. And I think that there's, you know, the, there's a part of our soul that does know that. And, and that, I mean, I think that's why we're, you know, fighting for it when we're in those positions as, as children or in religions or in relationships. It's like, wait, I remember something and I remember that, yes, I'm allowed to have this relationship with the sacred, but also like, this is disempowering me, which was kind of, which was the design. It was the design. Um, And so there's this remembrance of like, yes, there is this thing called the sacred feminine. And yes, we are an expression of the divine and we have access to the divine. Um, And we are holy magic creatures. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like, if we want to talk about um, magic and power, which we don't have to go there, but it's like, there's so much um, creative energy when women remember this. And um, I think that's, that's exactly what the church wanted to tamper. Yes, absolutely. I mean, and I have to give a shout out to my teacher, Kat Shepard, who I've been working with for 20 years. You know, I, in my exploration of the divine feminine and really reconnecting to it, I met her my very first like year in Asheville. And by 2001, I had started studying with her. And the first round of classes we did were on um, dark goddesses. And then I did a class called Wild Woman. Then I did a class called Kundalini Rising. Then I did a class called Spiritual Alchemy. Um, And, you know, through that whole process, I developed, you know, amazing and powerfully personal spiritual practices through that study. Um, And I also, you know, spent months and months and months of my life, like, and pretty much every few years, I did these very long deep dives into the divine feminine and how it is represented all over the world and what it means to have the divine feminine, the divine masculine inside myself, because that is actually where we all live is that those two things are part of who we are because those two things are part of nature and they are meant to be integrated. Um, And so that really deep study for me, you know, it's amazing to me because I feel like when I think about that, you know, Cat has opened up so many doorways. And over the last year in this class that we've done called the seven swords of Mary, it suddenly felt like I understood why I did all the other work. Okay. I want to hear more about that. Yeah. 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 Really amazing. So what you said, you were remembering why you are realizing why you did 
all the other work. So what was happening? So, you know, in between some of my deeper studies, Kat has also helped me with a number of other just like personal journeys. You know, when I've been going through grief, when I've been going through big changes, you know, she's always been a person that I can reach out to. We are friends as well as I feel her being kind of my spiritual mentor. Um, you know, she's always been a person that's kind of shown up for me to help me uh, choose to do intentional rituals and magic around the things that are happening. So, you know, that's where I feel like that practice that I got became really strong and understanding how I can tap into this part of myself, into my own power and really use it for different things in my actual life. That process, you know, last year, when I realized that I was going to have extra time in the sense that my social life got canceled and, you know, I was still working, but it was just like my whole schedule changed around. I felt this calling that, you know, I, everything that happened in 2020 created a space in my life that I just had not had before to really dig deeper into something that I, you know, have been, I think on this journey to get to for a long time. And so I went to her and I said, I, I feel like there's something going on. Let's read the cards together. Let's you know, have this conversation. So we were in her yard, just like really trying to bring in nature to say, what is, what is it that you want us to do? And what came out of it was the seven swords of Mary class. And it was really interesting because I had total resistance at the beginning. Like even the very first class, you know, we did a little meditation to say, you know, she, mother Mary is going to come to you and tell you what she wants you to call her. Cause like all the other goddesses, mother Mary has many different names. She's been called many different things across the world. And when she came to me, she said, I want you to call me the Virgin Mary. And I immediately was like, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is so gross. Are you serious? Like we're back to this virgin horror crap. I'm already done with this. I don't want anything to do with this. You know, yeah. like it was a really interesting thing that I, the first class I really struggled to push through this resistance that I'm not even sure I was fully aware still that I had, you know, so you had, I'm sorry to interrupt. You had worked oh, with all these goddesses, but you hadn't come back to mother Mary. You're saying exactly. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. And so, you know, it was like, I don't know. It was like I was in her yard and everything was telling us both, you know, you're supposed to embark on this study of, you know, the Christ consciousness and the mother Mary, and she's going to lead you. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. But then as soon as we entered into it, I was like, Ugh, are you serious? I don't want to deal with any of this. I'm already done with it. It's yeah. Finished. <laughs> Day one. I yeah. I don't need to think about any of this anymore. I already gave it up. I already walked away. I've already discovered all the other things that exist. Um, and so, yeah, I think the most powerful thing is that in a very first class, I realized that I needed to go back and reframe everything I thought when I was younger, wow. um, especially from my childhood, like everything that I thought about Christianity everything that I thought about the archetype of Mother Mary, everything, you know, that I kind of sort of intellectually told myself I was beyond. Yeah. It just, I suddenly remembered that I wasn't beyond it. And I suddenly remembered that it still hurt. And I suddenly remembered that, you know, there's these things that I never addressed. You mm -hmm. know, like in intellectually, maybe, yes, I thought a lot about it. 
you know, but emotionally, I never really, I never really brought it to a conclusion. I just accepted it. Like I just accepted this idea that I'm not allowed access. Right. And, um, it was really interesting because I will say like one small thing about my first class, there were two things that were profound for me. One, when I really couldn't get into the flow of my meditation in that first class and I was really resisting it, I actually called in my own grandmothers into the space. I've been doing ancestor work for the whole beginning of 2020. And I, I called them in and I said, you loved this Mm -hmm. spiritual path. It healed both of you. It gave you both beautiful, beautiful love. I saw it my whole life. So like, show me. Wow. Show me what it is because I hate it. I'm pissed off about it, you know, but if I'm supposed to be here, like then help me, like help me see it. I, it was profound because I really feel in my heart, like they did. They Mm -hmm. really did. Um, I think there's some long, for me personally, when I think about this at a bigger scale of my own soul, I feel like there's a long, painful road of me and this particular patriarchal religion. <laughs> I think, I think yeah. past just me being Sarah, there's something deeper here that I've been carrying over and over energetically as a soul. And so it was really amazing sure. to feel instantly like my grandmother showed up to, hmm. to help me navigate that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing all of that. You know, and it, it I'm like, well, it must be yours to do. And it must be the soul walk because you're doing it. And because it was so profound for you. Um, and part of just even the alchemy of you sharing the story. I mean, it's going to touch so many hearts. Uh, I had chills in my heart space, like multiple times already. And when you were just talking about your grandmothers, but I wanted to go back and say something about that. Um, you realizing that you had pushed it away but then under that that there was this pain and what's arising for me is that you know the the separation of the I'll say divine mother or holy mother from Christianity from religion from patriarchy that's a really painful severance and separation that we all carry like we all share that and in religion and the experience of like you don't belong here or you you can only access god through man or church then there's this pushing away and separation that's so damn painful right but then we also do this thing of rebellion so commonly and that rebellion is our own way of pushing away in defense and and like uh, upholding the separation you know albeit understandably but we're causing or perpetuating i'll say perpetuating sometimes our own separation and our own pain um because like it hurts so damn bad back then and like are we gonna are we gonna hold that are we gonna hold that separation are we gonna hold that grudge or are we going to find our way back to the heart yes i just wholeheartedly agree with everything you said because 
I feel like a few years ago, you know, the early stages of this journey for me were admitting to myself four or five years ago that because of the way that I grew up and because I wanted to be spiritual, but I was told I couldn't really access things the way that I was, that who I was wasn't appropriate, right, for access. I learned really quickly at a young age that if I wasn't careful, my spiritual life, my spiritual relationship would be taken away from me by other people. That They would literally take it away from me if that mm-hmm. was possible. Mm. And so I remember telling another friend of mine that I always loved the stories of the Isle of Avalon. And then I had realized it was because when I was a child, that spiritual part of me was so afraid of being taken away that I felt like I built the Island of Avalon inside myself. And I put my spiritual self in that place and I shrouded it in mist so no one could ever touch it. Mm. Mm. And it was a protective factor, right? It was so that when I became an adult, I could leave that world and I could explore spirituality without it being tainted and harmed and beat down by what everybody kept saying to me when I was growing up around me. So, you know, it was really interesting for me to just realize like exactly what you said. I had perpetuated this spiritual isolation that again was working for me just fine for a long time. But at some point, the next stage of growth was to connect it to everybody else again. And to do that, I had to go back and remember why I built that place in the first place. Mm, you know? Okay. So and, this is what you were learning with Mother Mary. Well, I think this was why I knew, even though it was hard, that going back into the Christian mythos was important. You know, because if I want to, to, remove the mist from the island and build a bridge so other people can get there. I have to really go back and remember why I felt scared enough to hide it in the first place. And, you know, that's really what I think going back to mother Mary became that process Mm, of doing that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm still intrigued at at what the relationship with um, the sense of Christianity looks like, but I feel like we have some more to hear from you about the journey with mother Mary. Yeah. I mean, I would say the one thing that made the most difference, even though I learned many things over the course of the last eight months, um, one of the most powerful happened the very first class that I did where when I told you mother Mary came to me and said, I want you to call me the Virgin Mary. And I was like, Oh, this is so stupid. The Virgin and the whore. I'm so done with this. Like I've already thought about this for many years and I just think this is crap. It's so limiting. I, why do I have to call you that? And she like laughed at me in my meditation because I would call her in and I would really visualize her. And she sort of laughed at me and she was like, look, you're confused about why I would call myself a virgin. And I was like, what do you mean? And she said, because I'm not calling myself a virgin because patriarchy and men and all of this control me. I called myself that because I needed people to remember that the divine feminine creates on its own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And That seems like such an obvious thing in many ways to me now, (laughs) but emotionally, I think I had never really reframed it that way. 
And I felt as if reframing that understanding, instead of thinking to myself and feeling in my guts, we call her the Virgin Mary because we're going to control her sexuality. We're going to control who she is. We're going to control her ability to express herself. If I think of that more as a choice on the part of that entity to say, as patriarchy swelled the world, there had to be a way to remind people that the divine feminine can create on its own, right? It does not require the divine masculine to make things happen. They work together to make lots of things happen. They also do a lot of things on their own. <laughs> and so to reframe it like that, I it's hard to, for me to articulate, but it healed something in me that was so deep because I realized I had been carrying around this like anger and disappointment about how unfair it was that I couldn't create what I wanted spiritually, that I had to have the permission of, of men or the masculine or whatever to do it, you know? And here was her saying to me, the message by being a virgin was to remind you that we don't need that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's a gift when we bring divine feminine and masculine together. It is not because they are codependent on each other and can't function. <laughs> like, well, yeah. And like so. the patriarchal notion of masculinity, right? Like exactly. That's where we really misunderstand masculinity is through this religious lens so much yeah. um, because it completely contorted uh, what sacred or divine masculinity even is. Um, and so then we get into this, like, <laughs> you know, do I have to need you? Do I, you know, are you in charge? And and it's like the remembrance of the sacred masculine and the gorgeousness of, of the sacred masculine as an energetic, as, you know, half of the universe, half of God, um, half of what creates, you know, all of this is, um, I think so healing to, to us as women and to the feminine as well. Um, did you have experiences with, so I've been instructed to call him master Jesus. So that's why, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what he told me to say. Uh, cause I've had some similar situations where I'm like, you want me to say what, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, can I call you Yeshua again? You know, and he's like, Master Jesus, please. And I'm like, okay. Um, so did you have experiences with him as well? Or what I did, did. M- Mother Mary talk to you about regarding I did. her son? Yeah. 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 I think that was also like a huge, I mean, of course, for me growing up Baptist, even though Mother Mary is something I always looked to because it was one of the few feminine energies that I had available to me. Um, of course, growing up Baptist, like Jesus is the main focus of everything. And, you know, I think one of the most profound things that I heard in talking to her and Jesus in my meditations that really meant something to me was I have always had this inner feeling that love is suffering, right? So when you're raised Baptist and you believe that Jesus is the ultimate form of love, the ultimate form of love to you becomes this person that literally sacrifices themselves, kills themselves for you. And of course, I've been through a lot of therapy. 
about that one, right? right? Where I'm like, okay, love does not mean crawling up on the cross and nailing yourself to it so you can die. Okay, please get that through your head. Um, but you know, I was taught even by my own parents, like the ultimate form of love was the love between you and Jesus. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, you know, that has always been with me. And even though I have rejected that, I have rejected it as a belief and a thought, you know, again, we go back to that core of my gut and the fact that somewhere still in there, I have this feeling that love is suffering. And one of the most beautiful things that got said to me from Jesus was you didn't get the whole message. Mm -hmm. He was like, Love, it's not suffering. Love is a response Mm. to suffering. Mm. And again, that's one of those moments where I feel like when that came into my consciousness in the space, you know, that was very intentional and sacred, it's hard for me to articulate why, because it's so simple, but it like cleared something in my body in addition to you know, my spirit and my soul and my mind and my heart, like it physically changed me to like hear that. Yeah. And to realize like, oh, what I thought I heard was love is suffering. Love is right. pain. Yeah. Right. Um, love being a response to suffering. I totally get behind. I totally get behind that. I, I believe in my heart, like if we're going to survive human lives, that better be the response we use, you know, when things happen. So to like have Jesus reframe again, something like that, that's so old for me that I can't remember being alive and not thinking that love is suffering, you know, for him to reframe that reframes everything. In this direct transmission, like, you know, (laughs) and, and this is giving ourselves the holy power of remembering that we are not separate from the sacred. Like that came from master Jesus into you, a direct transmission. It is holy word. It is, it is truth just as much as like anything written in a book. And I, I just want to shout out right here that like in the rise of true Christ consciousness and true unity consciousness, I think they're the same thing. Um, on the planet right now, it's this direct remembrance and direct transmission and the activation in us to remember love and to remember these true messages that's actually going to heal us from the patriarchal wounds of, you know, religion and how it was written, um, you know, in, in the texts and channeled pieces that I read, it's like, Mary Magdalene and uh, Master Jesus and the Essenes and Mother Mary and the Grandmother Anna, like, they knew that there would be this 2,000-year period of suffering and complete misunderstanding of the message. And then there would be this time, you know, in this sacred feminine remembrance, but also um, in this unified remembrance where the transmission would come through us. Yeah. And I mean, it's funny because as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking to myself that like, even three years ago, if somebody had been like, you're going to meditate and talk to Jesus, I would have been like, you're insane. (laughs) And I'm never going to do that. I'm never doing that. (laughs) Right. Right. You know? Um, And it's really interesting because I feel like, you know, earlier before we started, I said to you, it's almost as if I've 
sometimes I want to say that I've taken something back, but the truth is it's further than that because it's remembering that it never got taken from me in the first place. Right. I don't know if that makes sense, but it really is true. It is as if I thought something was taken from me. I thought I was told I could not have the spiritual connection to this tradition that is part of my ancestry that I grew up with from the day I was born, that I have a relationship with. I thought that was taken from me. I thought it was removed from me. I thought it was not possible for me to access it. And it was as if I just needed to remember that nobody took it from me. It's right there. It's right there. It never stopped belonging to me. It never didn't belong to me. Right? Yeah. That path belonged to me from the beginning. And it still belongs to me now. And that is, I think, like the highest level of the healing for me. Right? Is realizing that I've been angry about something that didn't even happen. People just convinced me that it did. And that's a powerful thing to realize. I mean, just especially when I think of myself as that little girl growing up in the church and always feeling like the answer was that because of something I could not control, right? Because of my physical body, I wasn't good enough, right? Because we are told in that context, like, we're the original sinners. We're the ones who started all these problems. Like, we just don't know how to say no to the snakes or whatever. (laughs) Like, that's that kind of messaging when you hear it for so long, you know, you believe that it's true. And I don't, that's why I said on a soul level, I feel like all of a sudden Jesus and Mary came to me to say, Sarah, it was never true. (laughs) You know, like those things were never true. They weren't true before you were you, and they weren't true after you were you. You were always connected to this. You always had access to this. You knew it from the time you were little. And nothing got stolen from you. It's right here, available in your heart. You've lived all of your life with these principles that whether I've cared to acknowledge it or not, a lot of them come from my ancestral connection to Christianity because my family are people that want to help others. Because my family are people that want to even take care of people they don't know and help anyone who has less and give of themselves to the rest of humanity. Like that is my birthright from everyone in my family. I'm so lucky, you know, that I was raised by people that were so um, beautiful and loving. And, you know, that's really, I think, where for me, it's just, it's so simple and yet so profound at the same time. It's like it rewrites my whole story. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. It's it's this return to love. Like you're talking about a, a return to love. And when we're in the fighting and in the separation and the opposition, well, if this is that, then I'm not going to be that. Or if, you know, if this is man, then I'm not going to love man. And, you know, if this is God, then I'm not going to love God. It's like, wait a minute. It's love in the heart that, um, that is the healing of all of the things. (laughs) And so, um, yeah, it was there all along. So, I think there's still a question and I'm not formulating it well right now in my mind, but there's still a question for me about 
like Christianity as religion, you know, so what you were remembering through this process and uh, in, in COVID, um, with mother Mary, where you're remembering the sacred in you and that you have access to all of these things. There's, there's Christ consciousness. So this is me and sort of the way I, you know, would, I don't know, pick this apart. Like there's Christ consciousness, but that was only, mm, that wasn't fully explained by the church or by religion. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. you know, what parts of you returned to the divine feminine masculine? What parts of you returned to your sacred remembrance? What parts of you returned to Christianity? Or is like, has that just transformed for you? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, in simplest terms, it comes down to the fact that I've developed these deep spiritual practices I've developed these relationships with all sorts of other energies, entities, beings, whatever you want to call them. I have integrated them into my life. And, you know, as I said before, I feel like I've become a better person through that process. And what I didn't, I think, realize is that, like, there was still this kind. And I think this is why the ancestor work brought this up for me, is that there was still this kind of empty space for something. And I think now that I look at it, I realize that empty space was because as a soul, whatever's going on with just Christianity as a spiritual path, I have a long relationship to it. There's something there that I feel I have probably revisited many lives, right? And so that space was empty for a long time because I was resistant to pulling that energy, that path back in to who I am. And so I feel like that space being there, it was like all of a sudden, after all the work I've done, I realized I'd kind of reached this point and it was like, all right, what is the next level for me spiritually? How can I continue deepening my relationship to things and how can I continue my own healing and become just a whole, even more whole integrated person. And it was that realization, okay, Mm -hmm. that space is here still. And, you know, that's why I said, like, the resistance was kind of funny at the beginning, because at first I was like, no, we're putting anything in that space, but that crap, you know, (laughs) like, and I think it's because I really had to separate out, like, what is the religion, the history, um, other people's opinions, other people's expectations, just all of that. I had to like really strip away all of that and say, what I want is like the essence, the core. Like I want to go back to reading mm. what the Bible says, but I want to go back to reading actually what it said. Yeah. Not what some political economic situations dictated that it says i mean Mm -hmm. when you start to go to that level of study you start to realize it wasn't even that long ago that we demoted mary from her place in the Mm -hmm. church Mm -hmm. it was not even that long ago i mean we're talking like 500 years when we really started removing her and downgrading her from the church so Hmm. You know, that divine feminine, it's not even like 2,000 years ago we threw it out the door. No, 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 no. Like, not that long ago. <laughs> we threw it out the door. It was present for 1,500 years for sure 
really strongly, you know? And so there's all that kind of stuff where I feel like I wanted to just go back um, to like looking at what the scrolls said, you know, I read, I reread the scrolls. They found that they say are from Mary Magdalene. And I, mm-hmm. the you know, went, yeah. yeah. And went back to like, just really digging into the raw translations of the people who can best try to speak ancient Sumerian and things like that. You know, yeah. I want to go back to that essence and really look at it and see what it said. And, you know, that's where I think I found that, that deeper connection. That's when I started to feel like I'm channeling yeah. into myself, like directly these, these entities that are saying like, this is what we really meant. This is what we were really trying to accomplish. This is like you said, we saw what was going to happen in some ways. And we tried to position things as best we could, you know, mm-hmm. to tell the mm-hmm. truth, mm-hmm. to tell the truth and to really help people. Um, and so stripping it down into that, I think it's definitely me incorporating it back into my own practice, but also, I mean, in a way where it's been a joy, it's been a joy mm-hmm. to reintegrate that. It's been a joy to bring Mary back into my practice every day. It's mm-hmm. been a joy to think about Jesus and realize that I probably truly would have been friends with a person like that. You know, yeah, like, yeah, and to reframe things like that and to feel no barrier between me and that thought, to have no inner resistance to it, to literally be free of any person that believes it's any different. It, I mean, I feel like I said, it's just, it's such a, a hard to articulate thing, but it changes. Like, I feel it in my gut when I say it, you know, that like this was a healing I waited for a long time. And all of my work on the divine feminine and masculine was so that I could come back around at this point in my life and really understand that I didn't lose the things I thought I lost, that things were not stolen from me, that people convinced me (laughs) that was even possible. And it was never even possible to begin with. That separation was never even possible. Mm. Oh my gosh, Sarah, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I feel like that's a beautiful place to conclude. And and I want to ask you if there's like anything else that's like, and I need to say this. Um, and I just want to thank you so much for your direct transmission. Um, I cannot wait to get this to the people. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> this, this is where we're at. This is sacred remembrance. So thank you so much. And thank you. I'm so grateful to have a chance just to talk about this with people and to tell the story of how it's been changing me because I really believe that, like you said, in a lot of ways, it's a return to love. And most importantly, it's a return to love of myself. And I already love myself pretty well. So to realize that there was a deeper relationship that I could cultivate with my own being, I mean, that has just really been mind blowing for me to realize that there was like another level to peel away. There was another level where I could love myself more deeply because I truly believe that process of doing that, that is the only thing that solves the problems that we're facing as human beings right now. Um, Mm. I'm all for science and I'm all for ideas, but I have to say at the end of the day, when I look at with all the, look at all the things that humanity is struggling with, I start Mm -hmm. to realize that 
that return to love is the key. And most of all, that return to love inside is really key. And being able to identify the things that have separated you from love is like the number one first step that I think everybody needs to take. Beautiful. And look what you did. I mean, it was COVID, which is the time, I mean, the pandemic and and things being closing, like you said, losing your social life, like we lost our distractions, right? And Mm -hmm. then it was like, well, it's time to get real. And so you were like, okay, I got that call. I'm going to go right in, right? And that's a place where, you know, you or anybody else, like we can resist that forever. But um, like you're saying, the the place of the resistance is like the place we have to go um, to collect the the pieces and to see what's there. Uh, yeah, it's like the the resistance is like a big you know neon flashing sign that's like come over here. <laughs> yeah, and um, I think the key is don't forget to ask for help. You know, that's yeah. I think for me a really magical part of it too that. You know, like I said, until 2020, I had never spent a lot of time talking to my own ancestors. And so there was this really powerful understanding for me, whether it's my blood ancestors or someone else, but there's such power in asking for that help when you hit the resistance. Don't yeah. feel like you're supposed to just push up against it all alone. Yeah. It's like you're not. Like just ask people around you, ask the spirits, ask trees. I don't care what it is. They all want to support you. And pushing through that resistance. So like allow yeah. the energies around you to feel that. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, thank you, Sarah. Thank you so much. Such thank a pleasure so to have much. you here. This is oh. a wonderful way to start my day. I really appreciate it. <laughs> All right. Well, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You too. Thank you, Sarah Benoit for your story and for all that it will inspire. Thank you listeners for being here. I'm Sarah Poet. If you would like to talk with me about reclaiming aspects of your own story that you have buried or you didn't think that you could honor just yet and now you're ready to, you can head to sarahpoet.com. I have private mentorships available, women's groups that happen throughout the year. Be sure to sign up for my free ebook on sacred feminine and masculine reunification in modern women and sign up for my email list and I'll drop it right off to you. It is my honor to be here with you, for you, and walking us into ever more present and deeper sacred remembrance. Thank you for being here. Thank you for walking your authentic walk and I'll see you next time. So much love. This is Sarah Poet of Embodied Breath, and thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I'm curious, what was your biggest takeaway? Remember that you are not alone on the sacred path, and women are rising now together. You can visit my website, sarahpoet.com, for more tools and inspiration to support your sacred remembering path. Please be sure to check the show notes, subscribe to this podcast, share with a friend, and leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I love to hear from you. Stay connected, and here's to your path of sacred remembering.